to be told when to start? Or? Christchurch on this beautiful sunny morning and to a talk by local lady Ben Okamoto. You're very welcome. You have more space here, which is good. Um, I would like to welcome you all on behalf of the Christchurch community, our Reverend Elaine Dunn and in particular the Clifton Arts Festival Committee. Please switch off your mobile phones and in the unlikely event of an emergency, please remember there are two exits. The door you entered through and there's another door through the vestry in here. And now, without further ado, I would like to hand you over to Benig. Um, it promises to be an interesting talk. I've never heard your talks before, so I'm really excited about this. Learning to love yourself and forgive yourself and others, um, healing, healing your heart, and I think you can, probably, you can probably explain far better than I can, so I'm looking forward to listening. Thank you so much. You. Welcome. Thank you so much, and I'm always grateful to Brendan for giving me the chance to share my work. It's one of my biggest passions in life that never changes, is to be able to share what I truly, truly feel and believe. So, um, some of you know me already and are bored with probably hearing me speak, but you know my background. I'm a therapist. I trained in uh, psychoanalytic psychotherapy. I'm a Jungian therapist as opposed to a Freudian, let's say. And um, I'm also uh, a writer and I've written a lot on, on spirituality and wellness. If you, I hate that word wellness, but you know what I mean, spirituality and um, the life of the soul and psychology and blending the two together in order to create inner healing. So I just wanted to, and this thing about healing the heart, is so important because we, can, we, are, we are cerebral human beings. We consider that if we think something or if we decide on something, it's done. But often, if you come to such a, if you regard uh, your emotional wounds, for example, or your belief systems that you may have picked up from childhood, no amount of will. Healing is not a matter of will, you see. You have to actually um, engage with the suffering. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have to go within to actually go through the experience in order to be transformed. So I just want to read you this. This is what really um, spurred me on. I gave another talk in Dublin uh, not long ago and a workshop on healing your heart. But this is a beautiful story. In Egyptian mythology, there is a story that says that when a person dies, the soul travels to a different dimension to undergo a life review. In that timeless, spaceless realm, the god Anubis 
places the recently deceased astral heart on a scale to weigh it against the feather of truth. Now, if the heart is lighter than the feather, then the soul is liberated for all eternity. But if the heart is heavier because it is filled with regrets, remorse, resentments, then the soul is sent back for another lifetime of learning and evolution. So this story, ageless story, like a lot of mythology, can give us a lot of food for thought and can really teach us essential truths. Because, as I said earlier, um, in a way, our task, if you like, is to become free, to become free of the limiting beliefs of the ego system, if you, if you like, the ego tends to be the one that interferes, um, and to uh, let go. And one of the things that we have to let go of, of course, is if we've been hurt or um, uh, we feel in any way uh, wounded, uh, we have to, at some level, we can, I know because I'm a therapist and I've been doing this for 30 years, we can, we can tell and retell our stories over and over again to our therapist um, and have them validated through witnessing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we heal. We can heal. But you see, the, the thing about healing is a miracle has to happen in your heart. The miracle of love and acceptance and forgiveness. Now, when I talk about forgiveness, you know, I've made notes, but I never read them. And now I'm thinking, I've probably gone off what I was going to say. But anyway, um, one of the things I discovered most strongly when I was writing my last book, which is a good many years ago now, is that it's a lot harder to forgive yourself than to forgive others. And here, of course, the religious dimension comes in. And sometimes... This has created problems for us. You know, forgive your neighbor as you forgive yourself. But in actual fact, often the forgiveness is, we don't forgive ourselves because at some level, why? Maybe we feel a little bit unworthy. Now, Jung, Carl Jung talked about the whole of our personality and a sense of wholeness which includes self-acceptance, but self-acceptance also of what he called the shadow. Now, the shadow is the parts of us that we don't put out in the public. They're the opposite to the persona. The shadow is, is all our repressed emotions, all our, what we consider not uh, palatable for, um, you know, for, for public consumption. It's the role, it's, it's the opposite to the persona, which is the role we play in life, the shadow. And if we're afraid of our shadow, if we don't accept our vulnerabilities, our weakness, our, our not-so-nice emotions, then what are we doing in a way? We're dividing ourselves, but we're also stopping ourselves from being able to love ourselves and forgive ourselves. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, I uh, will, you know, have stop before the end because I, I like uh, to be able to interact and for um, to interact with you if you have questions. But the big thing about forgiveness is that the other thing I learned when I was writing this book 
is that we often don't know. See, we're unconscious. Every heartbreak and every betrayal in our life, every heartbreak, and we've all had them, and we'll continue to have them until we die, is a call to consciousness. It's a call for us to become more real. It's a call for us to struggle. It's a call for us to understand our wholeness and become more whole. And in our culture, we don't often, uh, we have some difficulty um, expressing our vulnerability, our feeling that it's okay. And again, you know, this may be annoying for some people who've heard me speak, but I always go back to my own experience about 15 years ago, 12 years ago in Mexico, when I really learned about healing, and I really learned about my own vulnerability in my heart and healing it. I went to uh, Mexico, I had booked a training in um, herbal medicine and shamanic healing in uh, near Mexico City, in Cuernavaca. So we were a big group, mostly Americans, I was the only one who travelled such a long way. But crucially, ten days before I took the plane, someone I loved hugely, who was a very dear soulmate of mine, passed away very suddenly. And so, of course, when I went there, without even really being uh, consciously aware of what I was doing, I had totally shut down. My heart was shut down. So, being the sort of, you know, the know-all of the therapist, oh, I know I'm fine, I, you know, I can deal with all this. I was in this group, and uh, on the first day, the healer, the shamans came along, and they sort of singled me out took me out of the group and uh, said, um, you know, come with us. And I said, what do you mean? Well, your heart chakra is closed. And I said, oh yes, I, I know, I'm, well, I suspect that because this has happened and, you know, he, 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 he died and I lost him and everything. And um, so they took me off and they performed these healing rituals, which involved a shamanic type work. Um, and uh, the experience, and then brought me back to the group again, and the experience really changed me in a deep, fundamental way in understanding how uh, we need to heal ourselves and how we need to actually bring it out. You see, years ago when I was writing my first book on, on childbirth and the um, spiritual aspects of birth, uh, at that time, I was talking about how women experience childbirth often with great difficulty and have bad experiences and then they're traumatized by them. And uh, so what I want to say about that is what you don't feel, you can't heal. If you don't feel it, you can't heal it. Now, it is normal to shut down. We all do it as a protection. But somehow we have to learn to not do it so much that we then have to search for a long, long time to become more real. Last night before um, preparing for the workshop, I went to bed, you know, very nervous because it's the first time I've spoken in the church, which is a different feeling for me. Um, and I read one of my favorite books, The Velveteen Rabbit. Who knows this book? Yes. It's the most wonderful, wonderful story 
about this little rabbit, velveteen toy rabbit, uh, who uh, is given to this child. I'm not going to go through the story, but basically he talks to the skin horse and he wants to be real. He doesn't want to be just the rabbit. But how do you become more real, he said to the skin rabbit. You become real when you're loved enough. When you're loved enough and all your fur is rubbed off and your eyes are falling out and all of that, you become real when you're loved enough. So here's the thing about the love part of this talk. The love is the most powerful. Love is the most powerful force on the planet. And in my more mature years, I have become more and more spiritual. I have a spiritual master, and we talk about how love, in fact, is um, the most powerful force because it, uh, it obliterates the opposite, which is fear. So, in the story, obviously, um, last night, it is about becoming more real. And how we become more real is to heal our hearts. I just want to um, have a look at my uh, thing here. Yeah, so another thing I want to say about forgiveness. And this is something which held me back for a while. I thought, well, why should I forget that? Egypt for, um, you know, what he did or she did. Um, forgiving others doesn't actually mean letting them off the hook. Does it? It really means, because sometimes we think if we forgive, then, oh, it's all fine, and people can do what they like with us, and we forgive them. But no, healing is for you, it's for you. It's to free you. Forgiveness, I mean, is to free you, forgiving the other. If you forgive the other, then you are free of the resentment, the pain, the annoyance, and all that sort of stuff that eats into you about what the other person did or didn't do. Do you see? So, so healing frees you. Louise Hay talks about that too. Um, she says healing frees you, or, or not, and forgiveness free is for you because it frees you. So the forgiveness really can, uh, if you if you consider that. Um, unless we are able to let go like the story of the um, astral heart um, then we uh, we are burdened you see, we are burdened by um, the lack of forgiveness for the other and uh, it ties us down, you see you feel um, it, it, once you uh, allow and let go and allow the past if you like to fall into its own place um, then you're free to walk forward and not, of course it mean, doesn't mean that we don't, you know, we, we rub everything out and that if we've had a difficult childhood or if, if we've lost someone we love or anything, that we forget about them it doesn't mean that but it means that at some level they take the rightful place where they belong. Because in my uh, training as a therapist, okay, you have to do your own analysis for years. Um, like 20 years I was in analysis myself 
12 of which were before I even began training, because we must be one of the only professions where our training is in our weakness. You know, when you go for a job interview or anything, you put your best foot forward. But in our profession, you have to, you know, be a blithering heap, really, or break down and, and uh, you know, talk about, cry and talk about, you know, how badly you feel and everything. And that's a plus, then, you see, because you... The reason... It's, it's very um, logical, in a way. The reason is because we need to be analysed so we understand ourselves, so that when we're working with people, we don't put our own stuff into the other person. Do you understand? Because basically that's what the therapeutic process is about. It's about projecting, that the client will project onto you what they need to see in you. Sometimes I can be someone's mother. Sometimes I can be someone's father. You see? Because whatever needs healing is going to come to the surface in that room at that time. And because it all transcends, you know, healing and the things we're talking about transcends the physical. That's our redemption. You see, if we can accept death, and I don't mean just physical death, I mean symbolic death, resurrection will look after itself. Won't it? It will because we have been able to let go. Now, um, so, uh, Richard Rohr, the um, Franciscan, you know Richard Rohr? Yeah, he speaks uh, well about a lot of, of this process. And he, he says, in one of his books, I've forgotten which, he says, you know, about love and the heart. He says, um, and the heart has to be prepared through prayer. Grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, so that it can stay open when hell happens. And it will. <coughs> I think that one of the things that I have understood from my years of <coughs> being on the planet and living and being um, just who I am and a woman and also being a therapist, I think what I've learned is that there is such beauty in the human person, in the human condition. There's beauty everywhere. There's beauty in the brokenness, isn't there? And you, you, you I love that, uh, you know, the Leonard Cohen, that's where the light gets in, through the cracks in the human. And when we learn to value our vulnerability and our pain and our heart, then I think we grow. Another heart opening I had, which the one in Mexico I've spoken about, but I had another one, um, and I know they changed me fundamentally. Um, the other one I had was years ago in um, Jerusalem, when I was uh, visiting there a long time ago, probably 20 years now, 25 years maybe. And I... Um, decided to, I, so as you know Jerusalem is, has a huge, uh, rich um, tradition, there's you know, there's the Judaism, there's Islam, there's um, uh, Christianity, there's everything. So um, I went to the Wailing Wall and I sat there and I didn't feel very much. I went to the more Muslim uh, uh, 
quarters and I didn't feel very much. And then I went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. And it is where Jesus, as you know, was, uh, did his agony in the garden the night before he knew he was going to his destiny. And he cried, they say. Uh, inside the garden, has anybody been there? Inside the garden of Gethsemane, there's a little church in there. The tabernacle, it's a beautiful, tiny little place. The tabernacle is, or the altar is in the shape of a tear. So I, I walked around the garden, beautiful old olive trees, and I went into the church. Um, and there was a big group of noisy Italians there, so I couldn't really relax. And then they all left and shut the door because they were in, a, in an organized group. And I stayed on my own in there, just sat there for about one and a half. I didn't even realize how long I was there. But all I know is that there was this massive, I just cried for a long, long time. There was this massive opening in me. And somehow I connected with this suffering of, of, of uh, Jesus and the agony and, and the whole paradox of human life. So, um, so I, I, I just uh, talk about this in terms of this talk because how can we go about healing our hearts? Like what, what is the best way around it? Well, I think that um, for me, for example, it is trying to remain open as much as possible, expressing my feelings, um, but also moments of stillness and meditation. Sorry, I'm just um, somebody that's no good with time, so will somebody tell me that, you know, put up their hands and tell me about times when, it's, when I need to stop? Yeah, I know I still have time. Um, yes, moments of stillness and meditation. Now, how many of us really feel that connection that we have with the divine? We forget. That's good. But we forget, don't we? We forget. And now humanity is being awakened. More and more people are awakening up to the divine aspect of ourselves. And more and more people are, um, you know, um, going towards healing and wellness and spirituality and meditation, everything. But one of the ways is through this stillness. Because if you, and I invite you to do this, after when the madness is finished of the festival, or you might want to do it before, I don't know, to sit very, very, very quietly and shut your eyes and for even just one minute and shut down your brain and shut down your feelings even and just be. And I guarantee that at some stage you'll be able to feel your connection with the divine, the light that's there, the higher self, the whole universe, the way we're all connected as one. And we know this, but we have forgotten. And one of the reasons I think that suffering, that we suffer, and why people go to therapy, and why, um, you know, we, we, we are... Um, pulled towards experiencing more spiritual life is that um, we have forgotten we have a sense of being separate 
from the divine, sense of being alone. I remember feelings of inner abandonment, which you can put down to your childhood. You know, okay, I felt abandoned as a child, for sure, as many of us do. Um, and right, oh yeah, well that's the reason why I feel that now, but that's not enough. Because go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. It's a feeling separate from the divine. So that we're alone, we feel alone, and we're not alone. So I think healing your heart and the just making that connection with each other first is along the path to feeling more connected. I, everything I've learned about spirit, and to an extent about so, but more about spirit, has been from the babies I worked with. Many of you know that I had a, a career, if you like, as a, as a, a pre- and perinatal psychologist. I set up a birth centre in London. I helped women prepare for birth, and I went with them for the births of the babies and then healing after the birth. So you look at newborn babies. Have you ever seen a baby with a sin? You see, this is something we have to heal, I believe. This innate sense of being sinful or being not good enough. Another story I like to tell is when, um, when I was, uh, which illustrates it really, when I was um, in Dublin, I lived in London for years and did my training there and worked as a therapist for a few years before I came back to Dublin. And I loved coming home. Um, but I was involved in setting up with other colleagues uh, a Jung Centre in Dublin, C.G. Jung Centre. We used to give talks um, to the public and we each had several sections to do. And then um, I got a phone call from somebody who said they wanted to come and see me. She was a therapist herself. The lady, she she uh, had worked in the thing. Uh, she'd worked in that field for a long time. And I said to her, why did you... Oh, I came to your lecture. I said, well, why did you decide you wanted to come and see me? Because there were quite a few of us. And she said, oh, because you... Because you said to us that we are all goddesses and gods in embryo. And she said, I liked that. So I decided that's what I wanted to do, to see myself, if you like, connect with the goddess part of me. So... Uh, we tend to forget that there is part of us made of starlight. Would you agree? We do. And you see, in certain cultures and in aspects of the Christian tradition too, unfortunately, we uh, are, um, if you like, estranged from our um, divine selves. And I think that that has held us back. And that we need healing on that. And then we can somehow uh, feel a little bit more whole. Now, is there anything else about forgiveness? I'm feeling a kind of a gap in what I can say now. Is there anything about forgiveness or, or anything that you want to ask me? Because then I, I can continue that way. Lucia. With the anger, do you know the, you hold the anger, you look after it, you hold it, you don't shove it away. You know the, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about that. Um, you see, maybe 
we have a reaction to the anger. Maybe we hate it. Um, there's a poem by Rumi, welcome them in, all these emotions. They may be clearing you for a better day. I, I wish I was a poet. The guest house. The guest house, correct. I think that's... You don't do anything with it. You just... Because I think it dissipates. In my experience, that those feelings dissipate the more we let them out in an appropriate way. And my brother, um, one of my brothers told me that there were... Uh, I don't know whether it's true, but it could be. Um, he worked with the EU for years, and he said there was a place in Brussels, a wall or something, where people could go and buy a bag of um, bricks and throw them at the wall. So it's like a therapy, you know, uh, for letting out your, uh, your anger and your grief. Um, and I think that's something we should help the children with in schools. We should help them. Uh, you know, that it's okay, like my little, I'm a grandmother now, which is a blessing for me, um, and one of my little grandsons, they're so open, he said the other day, I'm tired and cranky, and that's why, you know, so, like, it's okay, you can be tired and cranky, and that's fine, you know, you can express it if you want, as an excuse for being a bit obstreperous if he's tired and cranky. Or I'm fragile, he said the other day. I'm feeling fragile. <laughs> so I think that we can help uh, young people to express their feelings in an inappropriate way. I, I know. I don't know, does that answer your question? But uh, in a way, we just have to not do anything. We just have to deal with it. Like for me, I... Um, I, I, I being Connemara heals me. And I have, I have a reclusive nature, which I have to be careful of, but I know that that's what heals me, is being in nature. I always go out and walk and stamp along the road and stuff, um, and connect and talk to, I don't know, the birds and things. And I always feel a bit better. So everybody has a different way. Other people might listen to music, I don't know. But I think the important thing is to not suppress it. Yeah, hi. Hi. Um, it be personal. Um, in talking about forgiveness, the only forgiveness I could reach when it was very serious for me to forgive and feel better because I hated two people so strongly that it was very physical. Yes. And I felt if I don't get rid of this Yes. Now I had a lot of dreams around and work with it and that. But the only forgiveness I could come to was to accept the others as they are. Yes. But that I didn't have to befriend them. Correct. Yes. If you wish to know, I can be more personal about the table to emphasize how I am to be it was uh, my beautiful daughter was married and had two children and uh, the marriage broke up after nine years. He left with a friend of all of us, a friend of my family and a friend of my daughter who was left for almost her two children. And I hated her so much. 
because you you're absolutely that is you're absolutely right and that is a very good example of what I said earlier but perhaps didn't elaborate on that the forgiveness really is about letting go of the power that that hatred had over you and but it doesn't mean there's a great liberation then in realizing you don't have to have a relationship yes Yes. It is, and the problem is that then, as you rightly pointed out, we then have to differentiate because we can allow that hatred to eat into us and create physical illness, which it does in many cases. A lot of the illnesses we see are, you know that all illness begins above as an energetic uh, depletion of energy, a thought process, an emotional process, and finally, if we don't listen, it goes into the physical. Once it's in the physical, then it's treated as, as a disease, which is far more difficult to get rid of. I never forget, um, and thank you, I never forget, I was working in America um, some years ago and I did a short workshop with some, uh, with some young people. Well, not young and not so young. But we were talking about love and healing and I had great difficulty with a particular person in the group and I thought, come on, you get a grip, you know, you're meant to be dealing with everyone. But she was incredibly sharp, brittle, closed down. And, but she, by the end of the two days, she had the courage to speak up. And she said, look, she says, I don't even know if I have a heart. My mother kept telling, she hated us, there were two of them. She hated us, she kept telling people she wished that she had got cancer instead of children. I never forgot that. It made such an impression on me. And here was one of her daughters trying to heal that. So, but that's a beginning, even. So, yes, um, I think the hatred has a huge... Are you having your hand up? Hi. I missed it slightly. Um, you have, is it an important part that you tell the person that you forgive them? I wouldn't have thought so. Because you tell yourself you've forgiven them. Your, your relationship with them, if you had a relationship with them, would be different. I mean, that's what I'm saying off the cuff. It, it feels as though, you see, that the other issue is that we 
want to grow and we may want to love and we may want to forgive, but we, we, we can, we're never responsible and we can never control that in another human being. So by telling them that you may open up something which you then, uh, is about them. Do you see? So I probably, I don't, unless, I mean, maybe there are cases in which it could be, I'd say every case is different, but instinctively my answer to that would be, no, it's necessary for you to tell yourself and let it go. And you can feel it in your body. I have felt it in my body, the release, the liberation of being free. You see, because the other thing is, you are, when you are filled with this stuff, you're, you're, you've got that heavy heart, um, then you yourself are in conflict with yourself. Because you want to be well and you want to be healthy and you, you want to be happy. Uh, so when you can do this forgiveness process, whatever way it is, you're releasing and then you can be free. So I think that that's really important. Sorry, somebody had their hand up over here. Hi. Tell them the reason why they hurt you. You said you don't have to tell them you forgive them. Do you, you said earlier you don't. It's not letting them off the hook. No. Yeah. So do do is there anything you to tell them why they hurt you and the reasons? What are they time? What I'm presuming that um, that it, it is already you're already aware of why they have and they're already aware. Are you talking about a situation where they're not aware? Probably, yeah, possibly not aware of their actions or words or... Well, then it depends on the relationship because if you don't have a relationship with them and if one day you meet them and they say, well, why don't you ever ring me up? Then you can say it with them and I felt, I guess, but if you're in everyday communication, why not explain it? You see, the issue is this. It's within you. By telling them, it depends on you. Do you want a relationship with that person? If you do, uh, you then probably have to engage with them. But if you don't, then it's, I don't think it's necessary. It's down to what you feel you need for your own health. <coughs> Would you agree with that? Really, because sometimes... You know, I've come to believe in my long years, in my long years, not that old, but I, 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 I feel as if I've been on the planet an awful long time, but I think I'm just an old soul. Um, uh, I've come to believe, though, that uh, the more you reach, and this is what Jung talked about in individuation, that you reach a place where you can be yourself and be happy with yourself. It's not about whether other people think you're happy or not or whether other people like you or not. Of what use is it if other people like you, if inside you're, you know, that's no use. And here's the difference between being real and being, um, you know, not real. In Jungian psychology, as I said, we have a, an archetype called the persona, which is the archetype of the role we play in life, and, you know, we smile at people and all of this. Uh, and people who are identified with, for example, needing other people's approval all the time, they have a harder time being themselves than people who can be themselves and say, look, I'm sorry about this, but I'm in bad shape today, so I'm not going to do whatever you want me to do. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's really about being happy with yourself, being happy in your own skin. And I remember 
really, uh, when aspects of that happened to me years ago, I used to have this abandonment thing a lot. And I remember when I came back to live in Ireland, lying in my bed up in my house in Cap Road and um, saying, do you know, if I died in the night, no one would even know. You know, I'm poor soul, all here on my own and all the rest. And then one day, one day, I just remember when it happened, I said, you know what, but that, that's fine. I'm fine as I am, and I don't mind, you know, so what? Do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of, you grow into your own skin. And I say often to my clients and people I work with, you have to give birth to yourself. You have to be born to yourself. Okay, your mother and father did this, that, and the other, and they were not good enough, or you had this, but if you grow into yourself and accept yourself as you are, that's the liberation. It's a liberation I have found gradually. Sometimes I do think you need to, to talk to somebody so, so that you have yourself reflected back to yourself, a period of time maybe. Self-awareness is huge. I think um, healing of yourself. So you become aware of what you need to heal. And it might be something tiny, like um, take an extra day off work where you go and walk on the hills or, or whatever. Everybody is a bit different. Um, I think also, I think prayer, or if it's not necessarily prayer for you, or whatever way people connect, um, I think slow steps and being very mindful of yourself and being aware. Because if you go out there and suddenly, you know, you're kind of saying to everybody, oh, isn't it great, and we all love each other. Like, it doesn't really work that way in a sense, as you well know. Um, it's, it's, it's an inner process. 
And I think, um, I think people, I think solitude is important. Periods of solitude can be important to be able to reach that place. And also, paradoxically, reaching out to others. But I think it's a slow process. What would you say? Yeah, I think you, you uh, believe that you can trust yourself more than you are doing. And uh, you isolate yourself. And that's a dangerous place to be. So bringing an element of spirituality back in, a belief in a hard being, is very helpful. Oh, absolutely. But you do it with a fear that you fall back into the, the old ways of being dominated by juju kind of beliefs in the you've just turned so against the religiosity of popular brotherhood. Yeah, but there you're in danger then of being, of bringing in, um, of, of being too divisive. Yeah. Yeah, and polarised. It's a damage Yes, but um, uh, you have to be careful not to be uh, too down on yourself either. You know, after all, we are who we are because of the imprints we've had in our lives, be it from family, from church, from culture. And there's a beauty in that, to recognize the beauty of it for yourself. And, and you've hit on a very good point because this is the whole thing. We often don't realize that we don't love ourselves very much or we don't trust ourselves. Do you know? Yeah, but it's, it's that we believe in ourselves, but to do it on your own without something cosmic around you is a lonely place to be, something more spiritual around you. Well, it's not lonely um, if you connect with, with your higher self or with spirit. It can be extremely enlightening. It, it can be it, like dreams, mm, like dreams, for example. Um, in my profession, we work a lot with dreams, and I have. I write my dreams every day, every time I have a dream. Last night I dreamt that this was all over, actually. Because <laughs> I had forgotten to put on the, the recording and that I'd forgotten this and that. And I woke up and said, what? I haven't given the talk yet. And I rushed out of bed. But uh, dreams uh, are, um, uh, are, are the way that your own soul comes through and gives you lessons. Or not gives you lessons, but gives you um, insight into your life. You see... Dreams are compensatory mechanisms. So that if you um, are having a very bad time in, in your outside life, you might be in despair, dark, everything. I mean, they have analyzed this books about Bruno Bettelheim wrote about this, dreams of people in Auschwitz. They had brilliant dreams, beautiful dreams, dreams of of love, of liberation, of being wonderful beings. Why? Compensation. To help bring about balance. The function of dreams is to bring about balance in your life. So that was to help them keep going. Likewise, you can think your life is going swimmingly and everything's fine and you go to bed and you have a horrendous dream. So it may be telling you you have to look you know, you have to incorporate this, look at this aspect of life. So it's all about really connecting with that inner voice, which is there. And I firmly believe the more I live as well, and the more work I do, and the more I connect with the spiritual aspect, 
We have everything we need within us. But we don't realize it once. Years ago, oh gosh, it's, it's probably 10 years ago, I remember a, a wise old lady saying to me, she was a psychic, and she said to me, uh, she used to write spiritual books, and she said, she said, you're like somebody. She said, you've got to wake up, she said. You're like somebody that's been told you can walk on water, and you're still holding on to the boat. Because we're scared. So we think, what? Oh, I can't do that. Um, but the more we, and, and to have patience with ourselves, that's the other thing, patience. We need patience. Um, and I'm not gifted with patience. I'm still trying, but I'm still, as those who know me know, I, I still uh, find it hard to have patience. So this morning something interesting happened, and not that I was consciously thinking about it, but I, we were driving in, and I wanted to get here early to see the place and set up and everything, and um, we got stuck behind a bus. And normally I'd be raging, you know, kind of, <laughs> Overtake. And I was, you know, normally I'd have this. Really, it would affect me. But I just decided, no, it's okay. And then what happened? A few minutes later, the bus indicated for me to take. A, you know, that the road was free. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, great, it's working. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know whether that's a helpful, uh, a helpful answer. Yes. What was the question, uh, Robin? What extent can it cause physical illness? Oh, I think it can cause physical illness. Uh, absolutely. But again, it's all unconscious. So you'd rarely walk into your doctor and say, look, I've got cancer and I know why. <laughs> you know, because they would just look at you and say, take this drug or whatever. Uh, it's unconscious. Oh, absolutely, I'm convinced of it. Yeah. Um, but having said that, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to sort of, you know, for, for people who suffer from these illnesses, it's not very helpful for us to say to them, well, you know, you bought it on yourself. So, um, you know, it's a fine balance. But yes, it's, it's all in the, absolutely. Now, I don't want anyone to leave without me, because I know we're nearing the end, without me reading a poem, a short poem. But anyway, we have time for one more question before the poem. Hi. Yes, yes. Can you speak a little bit louder? Sorry. I work with as well, is there something that you love? Like for me, when I want to give myself a treat, I'll go for a massage. So it can start with that, something that you know makes you feel good. Could be a walk up the diamond or 
something. Start with that and make sure you keep it as a as a, like a discipline that you do something for yourself every day where you know it's going to make you feel good. Um, and it can be tiny. Uh, years ago, when I worked first in Dublin, I, I remember I had a lovely client who taught me a lot about this. He used to come in and he, he had a picture of himself when he was 10. Tiny picture. He was a man well into middle age. And he used to pull out the picture and he told me that his routine every night because he was a busy businessman, was to pull out the picture and say, look, I'm sorry I didn't get time today to spend with you, but tomorrow we're going to do something together and I'll be talking to you. Do you know? That's a tiny thing. But it still builds up in you an openness to yourself, I feel. Um, now, it's nearly uh, 11, I think, so I want to read the... I was going to read lots of poems, but I never got around to it. Um, one of my greatest loves is Rumi, the poet Rumi. Um, the poet Rumi, who, uh, as you know, is one of the most amazing sacred poets. But I, here's a good one. The fault is in the blamer. Spirit sees nothing to criticize. The divine isn't criticizing us. The divine has forgiven us. Our higher self forgives us. God forgives us, if you like. So the fault is in the blamer when we are blaming ourselves. Now, I love this. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you've built against it. Right? Now, here's a beautiful one, the last one I'll read. It's from Secret Places by Rumi. Lovers find secret places inside this violent world where they make transactions with beauty. Reason says, nonsense. I've walked and measured the walls here. There are no places like that. Love says, there are. Reason sets up a market and begins doing business. Love has more hidden work. There's more to the poem, but I love that last line. So thank you so much for coming out. I, I'd be here a little bit longer if anybody wants to talk to me. And I have some books I left down there as well, if anybody is interested in my books. And um, Thank you for coming out on such a beautiful day and all my friends who came and I feel so grateful to be here. God bless.